everyone, and a big welcome to the Forge Ahead Show, episode three already. Wow. And we bring you amazing people who are storytellers, people that have gone from an adversity to achieve something very, very exciting. And today's guest is no different to that at all. Um, first of all, a big shout out to our sponsors, Dougie Stone Radio. They are freaking global. My good friend, Mark Brimson, runs a whole host of shows. Um, so please do check them out. The link's gonna be in the bio. And a big thanks to their sponsorship and support, as always. And today, Really excited about this one, actually. Really excited about this one. I know it says every week, but I know some <laughs> exciting people. Um, today, I want to bring you an amazing lady, uh, Lou McMillan. It's been my privilege to be part of her recent journey um, because this lady has a powerful story to tell, and now she's out there telling it. So, Lou, big welcome. Hi, Nick. Thank you. Hey, how you doing? So, I'm good, thank you. Good. So, introduce yourself to the audience. Okay, so I'm Louise McMillan. Nick always calls me Lou, which which is fine. I I I, I don't mind that. But um, so yeah, I'm Louise. I've I've known Nick for about just over a year now, haven't I? And it's been mm. an absolute amazing year. Um, I started off meeting Nick because I wanted to get my message out there about um, me being a life coach that works with women to overcome their limiting self belief and lack of self confidence. And from working, meeting you and working with you, I am now an inspirational speaker in my own right. Nothing I dreamed of doing. And it's just amazing. It's just amazing. <laughs> but again, it's, it's that thing that, um, and you get this, obviously, when you work with people now, it's that yes. you kind of, you feel something special in people, but they don't see it themselves yet, or they don't Absolutely. truly yeah. buy into that. And look, yeah. as you guys know, I'm brutally honest, um, I still get that. Um, sometimes, and I was having this conversation earlier on with somebody that sometimes my confidence and self-belief doesn't keep up with the success I'm achieving. And that's a really weird thing because it mm. does create that kind of feeling. So absolutely get that. But you've had all the answers all along. You're just now asking yourselves the right questions. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's the thing. It's, it's, it's asking yourself those questions and believing in yourself and just taking yourself out of that comfort zone every single day to, to get there and just, you know, you know, um, celebrating the small stuff. Yeah. And that's the thing. But Sometimes that... we want something so big and we kind of, we're not celebrating because we want to wait to get, we get there. But now it's, no, I achieved that today. And, and that's really good. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that is the tip of the iceberg because that doesn't cover a fraction of your story. So <laughs> yes. uh, if you're okay, like engage yeah. us, tell us, tell us the story okay. of kind of your adversity. Okay. So my adversity really started sort of from childhood and that was, believing what other people's views and opinions were and their expectations. So I kind of went through childhood not really believing in myself. I lacked self-belief what I could achieve and also that confidence. And the comments didn't come from one person and I think I probably listened too much to them, but I'm not an older child, I'm a, I'm a middle child. So you kind of, your sense check-in was with those other people, family members that were older with you and you know, the kind of comments they say, and, and it's, you know what children are like, and I think you do that. So, but it didn't just come from childhood and one family member, it came from many, but also then it was school friends, teachers, college friends. So I just didn't believe in myself that I would achieve anything. And I have done, looking back, I have, you know, 25 years ago, I'd literally just returned, and I, you don't know this, but just literally returned from a trip to Canada on my own, where I met a friend that I met on a girl guide camp back in 89. I'm showing my age now. 
And I only met her for a week and we wrote it and we kept, wrote it, bad English, <laughs> rewrote. <laughs> Authenticity. <laughs> As I said, we refuse to edit the funny stuff. So it's, it's staying in, it's staying in. Um, but, you know, I achieved those things and I, and I did my HR qualifications. You know, I'm CIPD qualified and that was, that was not by just going out there and getting it. That was hard work. And when I was doing that, I was buying my first house on my own. And you'd look back now and you realise you achieved it at the time. I just just went with the flow. Um, but I, but then I was getting into that thing of being a fraud, and I didn't believe in myself. And I was waiting for somebody to catch me out of that what I was doing. I was faking it, kind of thing. And so it just yeah impacted me. And what happened was was certain things would come up, and I would start panicking. Um, the anxiety would kind of raise and if I wasn't in control of it I ended up with spiraling down into depression where I would withdraw from everything and you know I had times where um, the slightest thing I would panic and I had mouth ulcers because I you know was just getting stressed with it all and eating badly and there were times when I used to go to work and I used to come home and I go straight to bed and I get up and I go to work and I come home and I go straight to bed and I wouldn't go out with my friends and I'd cancel a couple of days beforehand, even had been in a diary for weeks. And if I did meet them for coffee on a Saturday, I changed six times before I met them. Now, a lot of women will say, yeah, we do that. My friends say, yeah, I'll do that. But sometimes I was getting to the stage where I would cancel because it was easier to cancel than put myself through the distress in my own, in my own way. Um, and that happened constantly over many years and actually there was three i would say that i've i've lost years i'll put my hand up and say i have lost years of my life because i didn't believe in myself so i didn't do things and i just went with the flow um my last bad really episode was end of 2016 and um i was diagnosed again my doctor i was put on medication um and that christmas i remember being very numb and the only person I really spoke to was my mum. And I just said to her, I made need to make some, a lot of changes. I didn't know what, I didn't know how. But 2017 was about making some major changes to my life and how I lived it because I, I just couldn't keep going on like this. Um, but as you know, 2017, I ended up with the biggest plot twist, as I call it, of my life. That's um, where I'm going to put the musical interlude. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and and as I tell my story and I, I'm not going to tell the whole story because we'll be here till you know an hour um but I will just allude to it because I think it's very important uh, to listeners is the fact that I didn't find a lump I wasn't having routine mammograms and there is no history of breast cancer in my family um and I went with a concern about my left breast they did test to be on the safe side. I mean, we're, we're recording this now and while we're in the middle of COVID-19 and, you know, we're all praising the NHS and, and I cannot praise them enough because they did test to be on the safe side and they found it in my right breast, which is just bizarre that um, the concern was with one, found in the other, and, and then they found it in my lymph nodes. So wow. I had to go chemotherapy, um, which was, and it was all just an absolute shock to me, family, friends it was just unbelievable um but as you know my story nick having breast cancer just wasn't dramatic enough um my body decided after my uh first chemo 
Um, and I'm going to cut the long story short. I had stomach cakes a week later, and the week I was due to have my second chemo, I was diagnosed with appendicitis. And because I thought the stomach aches were chemo-related side effects, um, it was all that the uh, appendicitis had burst, but it was all in, in an abscess. So it's all stuck to my bowel and my colon. They tried to do keyhole, but they couldn't. They had to do major emergency surgery. So I ended up in intensive care, 48 hours, a blood transfusion. I was on morphine. I always get the wrong M, morphine. Um, and, um, and my hair was falling out. <laughs> and... So, and I was in hospital for two weeks um, and then an infection in my wound. I had a vacuum pack put on me so they could clear the wound up so I could start back on, on the chemo journey. So that was a real life-changing moment. And what I learned from that was not only that I had a lot of friends, um, but I believed in myself. And I found this inner strength and inner belief and there is a thing about having cancer that people allow you to be you. It's like you can get away with anything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. It was like it was seemed to be socially acceptable that I could make a joke about things. And instead of people going, no, I don't think you should joke about that, Louise. It was now okay. So I named my cancer. I named it literally from walking from being told to getting in my car. My mum says to me, all you would do was wittering about something or other. And I was like, yeah, what can I name it? And I named it Stan. And I say they found Cyril in Sydney in my lymph nodes. Uh, I had a pit line in, it was called Penny. I had a wig, but I never wore it. And that was called Winifred. Um, all my sort of jovial names are coming out here, my characters. Um, but I went bold. I literally did not wear a wig and I did not wear a scarf. From someone who was changing six times just to go to coffee with friends I've known for over 20 years, I'm now walking around Western Bristol, bold um it was what was your what was your thinking behind that what was it more of a was it a statement was it like an affirmation to yourself what, what was your thinking behind making that stand i think what happened was because i was in hospital where my hair was falling out and then a friend came in and shaved it i got used to seeing myself bold and i was on that recovery thing of, of being bold and then one day i went into the hospital my mum it was sort of end of august obviously school holidays and we were waiting for my dad to pick me up because obviously I couldn't drive. And um, she said to me, I think you ought to start wearing your wig. And I was like, why? And she said, the children are staring at you. And I said, we're outside a hospital. They're going to stare at me anyway. And, and I was in the car and thinking, no, I'm going to do this my way. I don't want to be told how to do it. For some reason, my dad decided to drive along the seafront home. I live in Western. We drive along the seafront home instead of going the normal way you did. And as we were driving along, there was a lady walking by who was bold. And I thought, she's doing that, so am I. And that was, that was Good it. Good for you. I'm just going to grab a camera for a second. Because we moved, because you know, the sun was shining out on me, I'm just going to grab my water. Cool, no worries, you do that. So this is where the musical interlude would be if we were editing this, but we're not editing yeah. this. We're going to carry on and seamless and smooth. And one, two, three, you're back in the room. <laughs> back in the room. <laughs> yeah, so having, going through all that, it just made me believe in myself. Um, I just, what, gave, what gave you the courage to, not just to make that stand, but what gave you the courage to, to kind of really come back from that because I mean it's it's a process which is obviously one of the most terrible experiences anybody can go through 
yeah i i think it was me going i'm not ready to go yet yeah this was my wake-up call that you know i you know you get told you've got cancer and you think of um this is not going to kill me i'm going to get through this you you this you know it's i'm i'm more than cancer and then you have something else that happens and it is that just that biggest wake-up call to go no i'm i need to live there are so many things i don't want I, I want to do and i knew what it was i wanted to do i just didn't believe myself in doing it and it's like no this has been my wake-up call this has been the biggest kick up the bum ever to say you've got to live you've got to take everything as you do it and not stop yourself from achieving because you can do these things and i think the fact that i had so many people i mean i was overwhelmed and one day when i was in hospital mum saying people actually like me and i know that sounds silly because i knew i had friends but i had people getting in touch that i worked with six seven years ago who just you know hr is quite incestuous and your claire will probably tell you why because she's in hr will tell you that but <laughs> people were hearing about it and they were writing to me sending me cards and i'm like actually people do like me as i am i am i am me i can be me and it's okay to be me yeah and I think that was that was the thing, and that was it. Then that was. So I knew you weren't speaking at that point, but were you doing any form of coaching, or was actually did did that journey kind of form part of your recovery? I think for me, the, the coaching had. I just think I just just had a circle of friends that were just saying to me, "Wow, the way you're going through this." Even my family were going, "You're a lot stronger than what we ever thought you were." Wow. And I and I think that was the key for me. For my mum saying to me, you're handling this a lot better than we thought you would, or mm. even I could. And I said, you don't know until you're in this. Now, I've had relatives that have had cancer. Um, and, you know, some of them have all gone on lines of why me? And I've gone, why not me? What, you know, why not me have this? And And I think because I've got nieces and nephews, I wanted to show them that it was okay. Yeah. And, and I think that was the thing as well. The support from them were like, oh, you can get through this, Auntie Lou. You're so strong. And, I, <laughs> and, and you know, they, the words to them was different than what they were giving me before. Um, and I think I had a friend that said to me, you've made cancer a lot less scary. And when, I, when she said that, that was the pivotal thing for me to go, right, I'm, I'm making a difference here. Mm. But the coaching bit, um, I did a diploma and I've qualified end of 2015. And I thought about okay. it, but didn't think I could do that. I never thought that I could be a life coach. It was just then going, well, it would just have to complement the HR bit. So I had the aspirations. I just didn't believe in myself. See, this is what I find fascinating. For somebody who's been through such a, such a kind of powerful journey to have the strength and the resilience and the characters come through what you did, to still not be in a position where you felt self-belief to kick onto what you're doing now for example Absolutely. so I, where's the dividing line where's it for you where was the dividing line um i thought about it while i was going through my treatment and i said to a friend i was thinking about it and but then i went into that thing of i've got to go back to what i was doing before because i had a career break i've got to go back because i've got a mortgage and i need to get money in and i did that and i had this what i call this epiphany the right word yeah that's one yeah. um, <laughs> Trust yourself, it's fine, that's the right word. Yeah, we'll go with that, it's cool. <laughs> so I was getting ready for work one morning and I've, I've got quotes in my, in my, it's like my, doing my hair in, but also my office, um, quotes on the wall. And it said, if you always do what you've always done, you're always going to get what you've always got. And at that time, I had two mouth ulcers. And I went, 
that's telling me. And this song, this, this quote, is usually just like that big, but it was this big that morning. And I just thought, that's it. Mm. I'm going to change this. And this is what I'm going to do. Because if I, if I can help people overcome what I've come and what I've realized, then that's what I don't want people to lose the years I've lost. And I want to help people do that. And this is the way I can do it. And that's why literally I started chatting about it to people and they were going, yes. And I met up with Richard Freak and was saying to him, this is what I want to do. And he was like, great. I said, but I need you to find me a part-time HR job so I can comfortably have some money coming in. Mm. And this is when he said, you want to meet Nick Elston? <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> and the world's collided. <laughs> and, <there we laughs> and the go. world's collided, yeah. So, and it's okay, gone, so I've just gone from strength to strength. Yeah, so I remember very vividly the first time we met, it was at a coffee shop in Yate, my hometown. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Wasn't it? No, we met, we were going to, but you had to cancel. And then you were delivering your first talk at the Bristol Rovers football ground. So we connected right. and I came to watch your talk because you told me about the speak, your first speaking academy. Yep. And I said, well, I'm going to come and see you talk. And I walked in and you went, Lou, and I went, Nick. And we hugged each other and they went, oh, we've just met. And went, oh, then. <laughs> yeah, that, I do that. <laughs> it was that. weird. It, it, it's, it's funny. You get that kind of connection with people. I think social media plays a big part with this. You kind of feel yeah. like you know people before you meet them. You end up hugging people. That, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Um, so you're right. Actually, you're right. Actually, I may choose my editing thing. Well, I might edit that out. <laughs> no, you've got to um, keep it in. <laughs> yeah, I've got to keep it in. <laughs> but I do remember vividly the conversation we did have at the coffee shop in Yate. Um, that, was, that was where I think that it started to really land in you that you could do something with this um yeah. so from that point tell me how you kind of speaking uh, not just publicly but even just telling your story to yourself uh, and actually how you, when we do that you see the value in your own experiences um, yeah. tell me how that journey has happened for you and uh, right up to where you are now yeah, so there's been some real touch points. So I remember going to an, a networking event and actually saying for the first time, I'm an inspirational speaker and I talk about my you know, personal experience with this and breast cancer. And there was another lady there and she got in touch with me, went for coffee and she had breast cancer. And we decided, well, let's put a breast cancer group together in Western. Um, and it's no longer a breast cancer group because we've, we've, we've got other ladies that have joined us that haven't got breast cancer, but we've got this group now. Um, which has been brilliant to, to put together. Um, and I've been on Bristol Radio talking about that group, so it's kind of evolved. But I did a talk um, for the regional WI in Somerset um, to do a talk, and um, obviously did my, my talk, and the president at the end said to me, um, I need to talk to you before you go. Me being typical me goes, what did I say? Now, you know I don't swear, but you kind of go, <laughs> did I? <laughs> and so I'm there thinking, and I'm, she's talking to all the others, and there's no questions coming in. I'm thinking, I don't know if that's good or bad, but I am there trying to wrap through everything I said. And I, and I, and I came out, and she said that she's waiting to have results back for wow. breast cancer. And I'm like, you knew what I was going to talk about when I was in there. And she said, yeah, I had to listen to you. And, and I was like, whoa. And she just said to me, I'm now looking at this in a totally different way. Yeah. And that to me was like, this is it. This is why I'm doing it. This, this was the, it. That was the pivotal thing. And to go out and, and do the talks, and I've been going talking to Rotary, as you know, and Rotary Club, the ones I've been going to are still majority of them male. 
only. Um, there are a couple that are male and female, but the female members aren't many. But to talk to them and talk about this and the questions that I'm getting back for them is not just about the cancer and they're sharing with me their stories in front of other people, their fellow Rotary members that didn't know, but they're also talking about mental health mm. and the impact they're seeing it in their friends, but also in their grandchildren. Yeah. And that to me is just that it's just re rewarding because you're helping them think these through and they're asking for clarity and what you can do differently or what they can do differently and, and it's well this is you know I'm not an expert I'm not professionally I, this is just the tips I use and they're taking them away and that's just been for me quite powerful um, there, there's so much power in lived experience I mean as and when we harness lived experience it's the perfect engagement tool to the solutions to the the fixers to the medical profession um lived experience is the vehicle that takes people from a position of being in a, a challenge right through to coming through to a solution so actually don't underestimate the part that you play in that like i play in that is that yeah. um lived experience provides the inspiration and the blueprint to how you could do something similar to what you've done so what you do is by sharing your stuff you're giving people a map to do their stuff exactly the same way um, Absolutely, yeah. And that's powerful. Like I said, it's a, and, and also kind of, don't you just love the synchronicity? My mind's kind of fuzzing now because, yeah. I mean, just to have this kind of conversation in the public arena is great because um, you kind of see things in a different light. The, um, the way that you share your story um, just engages people on a really real level. Mm. And, and actually, that's the bit that we kind of miss sometimes. Um, that's, again, that's another great reason why lived experience is is something to immerse yourself in because it's not in a classroom environment. You're not going to be fixed or told something. You're going to be listening to the insights, not even advice. We don't offer advice. There's insights right. and, and you find inspiration in that. And I love that. And I think it's something you yeah. deliver well. I've booked you to speak at my events. So yes, I know you well. The feedback <laughs> I get from the, from the audience and the attendees are, are always fantastic because you engage them on a very real level in fact i know i still remember the working title of the, the your keynote that we were working through as being our loo and yeah. i think it just it's a very you kind of feel to that being our loo yeah that's right yeah and, and that's the thing when i'm when i'm talking, talking with some of my coaching clients they talk they, they said to me they, you understand it you you understand what i'm thinking um you know and and or, or, you know or I, I'm able to tell you, I'm able to be able to tell you what I'm thinking without feeling that you're going to say, oh, don't be daft or don't be silly mm. or something. It's a thing of, and, and, and it's, it's knowing that it's owned. So, you know, that if, when they're talking to me about something that they're, they're struggling with, it's that, that thing of, it's just, I just let them talk. Um, you know, and you, you say it quite often, you know, people just want to be heard yeah. and you just let them talk. And you know, sometimes I've, I've been talked to other people. I've, uh, I used to run a girl guide unit and I still keep in touch with a couple of my girl guides now. And they just say, you just let me talk. And, and I'm yeah. like, yeah. And sometimes I, do, I feel so much better. And I go, I don't think I've done anything. I've just been there, you yeah. know, and, you, you know, and there was one a couple of weeks ago. She said, you weren't feeling good. I said, right, come on, we'll go on, you know, on WhatsApp. But I want to see you. You know, yeah. I want to see you when you're talking. I just don't want to hear you. I want to see you and you can see me. So it's that familiar face. We just chat and she just chatted and she just felt a whole lot better afterwards. And if I could just make that difference, then, then that's, that's brilliant. And, but if I can help them take them from where they are, from where they want to be, yeah. you know, and, and give them that sort of 
you know, I'm here to say, yes, you can do this, you know, then that's, it's just rewarding. And that's, that's the thing for me. It's just, I just want to help people and be rewarded by the success that they can have. And there's also an element of self-protection. I mean, the reason why you do what you do, why I do what I do, a lot of people in a, in a caring role, whether they be mental health first aiders, teachers, carers, managers, whatever they may be, is because they have a, a real intrinsic need to, to look after people, to care. Yes. And a lot of the yeah. time, because we've had our own experiences before of not being in that position, of, yeah. of being treated unfairly, of being in a, in a challenge. Um, however, that can have its pitfalls, as we know. Yes. That can mean that when people are sharing with us, we can take the burden of that on. We can be very sensitive to, to opinions. And like you were saying, that kind yeah. of like you get 99 pieces of positive feedback and you get one negative. Guess which one you focus on? Yeah. How do you protect yourself? Very briefly, how do you protect yourself when, when you're working with clients? I have to do that, that downtime. So when I always make sure after the, the call or anything, I have that, that free time. And I usually come away from technology altogether. Um, I might go for a walk depending on time of day. Um, sometimes it's, it's, it's just, I might put something else on TV. So, you know, the technology I'm about is phone and internet. So I might put the TV on. Um, I might just sit there and just um, do my own kind of meditation kind of thing. Or I've, you, you know my thing about my kitchen timer. Um, yeah. I very much use, use that where I will time myself that I don't do anything else for an hour and then go back. Um, and I get my knitting out. So, um, nice. you know, and, and it is. Once all that was going there, to be fair, <laughs> started to really get a bit concerned. We would have to do some editing in the end, but no, yeah, fair enough. It's like, go guide uniform and knitting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Again, for the second week running, I'm now speechless. There we go. Uh, so, uh, you've got a, you, you, you're a big fan of spiders, that's right, isn't it? Do you know, I found one last night in the office. <laughs> Lucky enough, it was quite small. It's still there. I haven't killed it. But yeah, <laughs> I do not like them. Do not like spiders. Mm. I, there's this exercise we do at the Speaking Academy <laughs> where I get people to do emotional, emotional kind of one minute about something you hate, one minute about something that makes you sad, one minute about something that you love. And for literally three <laughs> months running, Lou was doing a, a rant about spiders. But uh, it was spider anyway, season. <laughs> it was spider season. You're anyway. not going to are you? <laughs> <laughs> I promise you. Oh, oh, no, no, I'm not. No. No. Uh, so okay so wrapping up where can people find you where can people reach you so um obviously linkedin um i have my own website um which no doubt you're going to put the nice little thing along here absolutely um like strictly that was you know when they do the numbers <laughs> but um, for the people that are listening to this what's yeah. the website address so it's www.louisemacmillan.co.uk and i have a very strange spelling surname which people keep reminding mm. me at the moment so if you think of the football team, Italian football team, AC Milan, change the first A to an M, and that's how you spell my surname, MC Milan. Very cool. I like that. Nice. Yeah. Good stuff. Yes, um, um, Facebook. I've yeah. got a Facebook page, Louise McMillan Coaching. And then just to you know, change things up a little bit, my Instagram is living life more fully with underscores between each, between each word. Nice. Great. Well, I'll put the links in the bio as well. And so the question I ask all of my guests, I'm just about to introduce you to the stage at O2 Arena. 20,000 people chanting your name. They've walked into a state of frenzy. I'm yes. just about to introduce you to come on. What's your walk on music? Alicia Keys, This Girl's On Fire. This Girl Is On Fire. And you absolutely are. Big thank you for being my guest on the, on the so podcast and the show this week. 
A big round of applause for Lou. Thank you. Good class as always. Thank you very much. Um, so please do get in touch with Lou. I'm sure she's happy to answer any questions that you have away from here as well. Thank Absolutely. you so much for tuning in. Uh, so I'm going to be back again next week with another amazing guest. Um, and I'm shaking it up. It's a man this time. So cool. let's shake up the mix a little bit. Um, so look forward to catching you next time. Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to hit subscribe and like and all the other buttons that are really positive for me. Uh, really appreciate your support and I'll catch you soon. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. <laughs>